are into week number two of our series called The Right Fight. Last week, we talked about the fact that we all seem to find ourselves in all kinds of fights. Some of them are necessary. Some of them, not so much. Some of them are not beneficial, and it's a drain on our energy. It's a drain on our time. It's a drain on where we spend our evening thinking about things when we should be sleeping, rehearsing. This is what I should have said to them to put them in our place. And we find ourselves fighting about the wrong things. And last week we talked about the, the place for the fight, the right person for the fight, because there are things that we should be engaged in and, and that we should be striving for. And, and this week we're, we're getting into an area uh, of, of fighting that sometimes when, when we're in this place we we feel like I don't have any more fight and we just want to kind of give up because things have got difficult kind of in an underdog situation. And it, it reminded me of uh, someone here in the city and you may not realize this. I mean, you should just in general always be kind to people in traffic. But if you're driving along Del Prado and somebody cuts you off and they don't use a blinker, it's not, that's not the, the argument fight you want to get in. You never know who's in the other car. And first of all, if they don't have the mental aptitude to use a blinker and check their mirror, they're probably not too concerned with your safety anyway, so they're not the right person to yell at. But another reason you don't want to just yell at random people in Cape Coral is that you could accidentally bump into at least one person who I know would be the wrong guy to mess with, and, and his name is Nico Price. I don't know if you've heard that name before. I've got a picture of Nico to show you guys. Nico is actually a UFC fighter who owns a gym here in the Cape Coral area, and he, he's around town. Um, Nico came to my mind on this topic because, and, and we can go and take that picture down so we're not just sitting there staring at what our body should look like the whole time. Um, Nico went viral across the internet a couple times because he was in a fight that he was, I mean, it looked like he was losing the fight. He may not describe it that way, but he had been knocked down, had someone hitting him, and it looked like he was about to get finished. And the first time he went viral, the, the guy is up on top of him, beating him down. I'd show you pictures, but they're just too graphic. Like, you'll have to gauge whether you want to see that, that blood and stuff. And from the bottom of the pile, Nico reached up and backfisted the guy and knocked him out cold. And the, it went viral because it was just a sudden change in the fight. And there, there's something about that. Another time he got knocked back onto his back, and as the guy was coming up to potentially finish him, he kicked up from the ground and once again just knocked the guy out cold. And there was just this thing about Nico that he's just like this comeback kid, like this underdog. Like you think he's done. You think he's in this moment where he's about to get finished, and he completely would turn the table. He was actually on UFC's fight last night in the main event and ended up drawing that fight out. But he, he's, he's one of those guys who turns it. And we love that. We love that story where someone looks like they're at the, the end uh, of their journey, the end of the fight. They've got nothing left to give. They're, they're going to lose. And then it turns to the last moment. And, and we're drawn to that. We're drawn to that underdog story. And, and today, as we look at the right fight, we're going to talk about one of the fights that we're called to be in many times. It feels like a fight that is just unwinnable. And, and I want to say that, I want to let that soak in for a minute, because often we feel like if I'm in this situation where maybe it's been a month or three months or three years, and it feels difficult still, I think that there's a voice inside of us that says, well, this just isn't something that I'm supposed to have victory in. This just isn't something that I'll ever win. That if I've struggled with this for so long, I'm just always going to struggle with it. This relationship hasn't improved, 
And so it's just always going to be bad. And, and I think that we get into this place where when the fight gets difficult, when the fight has been going on for a long time, and it doesn't look like victory is imminent, there's part of us that just says, oh, I'm just not going to fight anymore. This is just how it will be. And what I want to encourage you on today is that if you feel like the underdog, if you feel like it's, it's been going for so long, that, that you need to keep fighting, that you need to keep swinging, that you need to keep going, because I don't believe that God is going to leave you in the middle of the struggle. I think that God is going to walk you through a struggle. I think God is going to, even, even to the term suffering, that God will walk with you through that. But what, what we see in Scripture is that God does not leave us there. And today's passage is going to be a, a biblical character that you may not be familiar with. And I'm going to try to say his name at least five or six times correctly before I get into the passage, because once I start preaching and going a little bit fast, I know I'm going to say his name incorrectly at least five or six times. His name is Mephibosheth. 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 All right, you got that? Mephibosheth. I said it right at least five times. So all the times that I mess it up from here on out, you know that I do know how to say it. It's just a tongue twister. Mephibosheth. There's actually two people that we see in Scripture with this name. The one that we're talking about today is the son of Jonathan, and Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And Mephibosheth is an interesting story because of the difficulty that he went through in his life. And when you think of an underdog, when you think of someone who went through an incredibly difficult time period in their life, he's one of the stories. Because uh, you're going to hear some of these facts, but just try to slide your mind and your heart into his position of his life experience. Because it was difficult. I mean, first of all, it didn't start off difficult because, first of all, he was the grandson of the king. That's a pretty decent place to be. I mean, the royal household, they, they had land, they had wealth, they, they had prestige and honor in their community. But one of the things that was unfortunate is that by the time he came around, God had already selected David to be the next king, which was a different line. And so rather than be passed from, from Saul to Jonathan, and then maybe even eventually Mephibosheth, it was going to go to David. And Saul, King Saul had been starting to lose his mind at, at, at David and at what God was doing. And as we come into where he enters the story in his brief bit, Saul and Jonathan are out at war and his father Jonathan dies in battle. And Israel's taking losses. And as Saul is trying to escape, as King Saul is trying to escape, He's, he's struck by archers, and, and he sees that capture is imminent, and so he asks his armor bearer to, to take his life so that he's not captured. The armor bearer refuses, and Saul falls on his own sword. And so, from Mephibosheth's standpoint, in this battle, he lost his father, he lost his grandfather, and it was known that David was to be the next king. And so when word got back to his family, they knew that the cultural normality was that when one king's line was being thrown out, that whoever was the next king would come and have the entire line put to death. And so the people who were his caretaker, his nurse, picks him up, and she's so scared, and she's trying to get out of the city to preserve his life because she thinks that someone's going to be coming for him next. In her panic, she falls with him, 
And it's a pretty graphic fall. He breaks both of his ankles. He never walks again. As about a four or five-year-old child. And so coming into his story, in, in this point of it, his early life was probably pretty great. But then in this day, he loses his ability to walk. He loses his father, who his father was a pretty good person. Jonathan was a dear friend of David. He was a good man from everything that we see in Scripture. He loses his grandfather. He loses the yard that he grew up in, his home, his sense of normalcy. And he's brought to live in someone else's house in hiding. And there, as a crippled young man, he goes through his days probably trying to stay out of the way. Probably living in fear of knowing if people find out where he is, his life could still be ended because he is of Saul's line. And to talk about being in a difficult place, to talk about what would that do to your understanding of who God is? What would that do to your understanding of who you are when your life has to go into hiding? To talk about a long struggle, this was his life growing up. And I I can understand some of the things that we see from him in his story of how he felt about himself, but I just want to tell you that the things that he felt weren't necessarily correct, but, but they're understandable. And so we're, we're, we're going to begin to pick up the story in just a, a moment, but before we get there, I want to make sure that as I describe his, his early life, which, man, it's heartache, it's difficult, that, that God's character, his goodness, is not just defined by our life experience. And this is, a, this is a hard word to hear. Like specifically, if you're walking through something difficult, it's hard to hear that God's goodness is not defined by your life experience. Because we make that direct connection. God, why would you allow me to walk through this? We in our head, we might recognize that other people have walked through incredibly difficult things. But as soon as it touches our life, it's like the first time that we begin to question, God, are you really good? And I want to tell you the truth of Scripture. We live in a sinful and broken world, and you will experience heartache in your life because of choices other people have made that were sinful and because of choices that you have made that are sinful, but that does not determine who God is. God has allowed you the freedom to choose. And He is good, and His ways are good. But we live on a fallen earth where where there is difficulty and there is suffering, but what He tells His children is, when you walk through that, I'm not going to leave you there. I go back to 1 Peter 5.10 so many times in my mind, and it tells us, after you have suffered a little while, God himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, we love the God himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's easy to call back to memory, but we can't forget the truth of the beginning of this. That what God speaks to his people is you will go through times of suffering. They will roll in. But in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of the difficulty, what you need to cling to and recognize is that God is not going to leave me here forever. He will draw me out of this time. He will restore me. He will make me stronger. He will make me steadfast. He will use these times of difficulty to put his glory on display. But just because you're walking through difficulty for a time, for a season, for a few years, it doesn't mean that you're in that difficulty because of the choice that you made. 
It doesn't mean that you're in that difficulty because God no longer loves you. That's not what it means. It means you're living here on earth. And there is a desire, there is a cry, there there is a designed part of you that longs and screams for heaven, for peace, for complete justice, where things are completely right. And that will be fulfilled one day in his presence, but that is not what earth is. And so suffering, difficulty, feeling like you're beating, getting beat up, feeling like you're not going to win this fight, that's going to be part of our experience here in life on earth. But God loves to see a comeback story. And there's so many parallels in this story that, that I see about the way that God works in our life through Christ. Um, but the, this Mephibosheth story, I believe that it, it can encourage you. And, and I want to make sure that we look at what he experienced as it applies to us, but also I want to make sure that we apply it to other people because we will often see someone else in the midst of their struggle, their fight, their mistakes, their addictions, and we will look at them and say, they're such a mess, there's no hope. But I want to make sure that you're looking at your life and saying, I know that there's hope for me, and I want you to see your neighbor and the people around you and say, I know that there's hope for them because I don't just see them through human standards. I see them through the lens of the way that God sees them, and the God that I serve is far too powerful for someone to be too far gone. Like, God is not helpless. God is not weak. God is able to work through that person. God is able to restore their life. God is able to restore my life. God is not helpless. And and I want to start off saying it it this way. Our, Our God is not helpless, so no one is hopeless. No one is hopeless. No matter how difficult it has been for how long it has been difficult, there is still hope. There still is the opportunity for joy. There still is the opportunity for love. There still is the opportunity for recovery. And that is on display, I believe, in, in this story of Mephibosheth. See, like I told you I would mess up the name. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. We're going to pick up in verse 1 from 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we'll project these on, onto the screen as I read them. And, and we pick up, and King David is just thinking to himself one day. And, and it says, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amel. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am a servant. We're going to pause there for just a moment, because if you can begin to slide yourself into Mephibosheth's situation, growing up in hiding, having lost all that you considered yours, Can you imagine the stress and the internal reaction when the king's men come to the door one day saying, you have to come to the palace now? And he wasn't privy to any of the conversations, and it does not appear that they spoke any words of hope to him because David actually tries to reassure him in the next few passages, do not be afraid. And so as he entered in here, 
he looked at the situation, the way that things were unfolding around him, and he came to the conclusion, it's almost over. This is going to be bad. And it just, it reminds me of, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The way that we handle things is so how we see people handle things in scripture. I mean, today it's like we get a foot ache. And so we go to Google to look at why we have a foot ache and we scroll past. That's completely normal. You're dehydrated. You have stage 17 pancreatic cancer. And we're like, that's the one. Like given the options of what could be going wrong, it's always the worst situation. And, and it's strange because it tells us something about our worldview. It tells us something about our expectations that when we are put into any given situation, why is there this voice that says everything's going to fall apart now? What does it tell us about what we think God's plans are for our life when we enter into any situation expecting and anticipating the worst? Our, our understanding of God's plan for why our life is here on earth it should be so rooted in our purpose and our calling that we say, I'm pretty sure I've heard from God that he has things for me to do right now. And so this is not the time for me to go home. So that's not what this is. And even if there is a struggle, if there is a sickness, if I feel a lump and I have to go through something, I know that God is going to use this time for the benefit of his kingdom, for the benefit of his church, for the benefit of my personal soul and mental strength. That I have the faith to interpret my circumstances through the goodness of God and not through the potential pitfall that I see in the world around me all the time of it's going to fall apart, it's going to be terrible, things are going to get worse. I'm not going to live that way because that's not the lens that Scripture teaches me to live my life through. And I can understand. I can understand getting there. I can't imagine being crippled from a young age, losing my father, losing my normal I can't understand what he went through. But I can understand that for me, that for you, for followers of Christ, for people who have been adopted into the family of God, Scripture calls us heirs with Christ. That we should have an anticipation that what God has in store for us next is good and not evil. That he has plans to prosper and not harm. And that's not to say, and I'll go back to the beginning, it's not to say that we won't go through seasons of difficulty, but I don't believe that God is bringing you through to this situation just to suffer. If God does bring you through suffering, it's for a purpose. He never wastes a wound. He has a purpose for it. But why, why do we just naturally interpret these situations where it must be terrible, it must be bad? And in verse 7, and we'll put this up on the screen, David tries to reassure him. He says, don't be afraid, David says. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were dear friends, best of friends. I, I mean, they, they protected each other. They, they loved each other. They were the best of friends. And so he's saying, I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property. Listen to this. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Now look, I don't know about you, but at least me, there's a self-preservation part of me that says if I'm before the king who really has two likely options and one is he's saying I get to eat at the table and be like one of his sons or B, he'll have me put to death. When he says he's going to give me option A, I don't think I'm going to start giving him reasons to, to give me option B. Like <laughs> I, That's just not how my mind would work, but there's something within where his identity of his self has gone that he described himself 
as unworthy of this and like a dead dog. And when we think of dogs just in general, we think of them now very differently than their culture did. And even most Middle Eastern cultures think of dogs now. Some of you guys let your dogs lick you in the face, and I still think that's weird and gross. But I understand we at least, I'll pick a dog up and pet it, and and it's fun to play with dogs. Their view of dogs was much lower, much more grotesque, and to describe a human as a dog was one of the highest levels of insults. And he went beyond that, and he called himself a dead dog. And so here he is being given this invitation, saying, you know your childhood home, the land that was your father's father, the land that's supposed to be passed to generation to generation, the land that was yours that you have lost, I'm going to give that back to you. Your fear of provision of where you'll have food and daily meals, you're going to come and eat at a table with me. You were part of a royal family. It's going to be like you're part of the royal family again. And his response is, why would you do this for me? I'm like a dead dog. And I think that he had forgotten what it felt like to be a child of a king. I think that he had forgotten what it felt like. Probably all those years of trying to stay out of the way, all those years of trying not to be too much of a burden, not being able to walk around the house and do anything to help learning to navigate this world as a crippled person in that time period was incredibly challenging. And his view was, I don't deserve any of this. Which I see happen still in the church today when we see and read in scripture that we are adopted into the family of God. That that God sees us with the righteousness of Christ all over us. Do you understand that when God looks at you, When you have that moment where you say, God, I give you my heart. I am yours. I I, I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. When you have that moment where you start, God now sees you with the righteousness that Christ earned. That he doesn't see your sins as, as accountable to you anymore. Christ has paid that. And so when you speak to him, he hears you as if you have the righteousness of Christ. That's how he views you. He says, come to my table, but so often we will say, okay, I want salvation, but I still feel like I need to stand back by the servants. I understand that I I can come to church, but I can't get involved because you, you guys don't understand my past. You don't understand the addictions that I've been in, that I'm still in. I might, I might be saved now, but I can't be serving yet because of these things. And we take our past and we pull it into our present to keep us from something that God wants for us. Because I'm going to tell you what God wants for you. He wants to be, see you serving, fulfilling your purpose, fulfilling your calling. Because when you get to fulfill that calling, you experience a joy that is unlike anything else. God has put a design in you. And when you get to fulfill that, it feels like everything is moving correctly, even through struggles. It's like, I know I'm making a difference. I know I'm doing what God has asked. But when we let our past keep us from stepping into those moments, we're missing out on something incredible. And the reason we're missing out on it is because we're refusing to believe that God has really accepted us. Mephibosheth is looking at his life saying, I don't deserve that. And so many people are sitting on the edges of their churches saying, well, I don't deserve to be involved in that. I don't deserve to speak about the goodness of God to someone else. I don't deserve to serve. I don't don't deserve to be fully engaged in the church because of what I've done. 
That's not from the voice of God. That's not from scripture. That's not from the Holy Spirit. God has called you in and he says, I've prepared a place at the table for you. So much more than just preparing a place at the table. I've, I've prepared, prepared a home for you, a heavenly home for you. I haven't just made you a meal. My son lived his life, went through a brutal execution to pay for your sins. They have been dealt with. Stop acting like they haven't been dealt with. Start living for the purpose. Start living for the fight. And when you've gone through difficult times, when you've gone through struggle, when you've gone through heartache, don't give up as if the fight is over because you, the fight is over, but your victory has already been won in Jesus Christ. This earth isn't going to be victorious over you. The battle is won. And we, man, so much of the church, we have been living defeated lives. We've looked and said, I, I, I bow respectfully and I exclaim, but who am I that you'd do something like this for me? Why would I deserve something like this? But man, can you, can you sense the, the, the comeback moment when Mephibosheth gets to be in his old home again? And, and I want you to see how it describes what, what happens next. In, in verse 9, and we'll put this on the screen. It says, then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson, because remember, Ziba's master was Saul. He says, I've given your, your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him, to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's households were Mephibosheth's servants, and Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Thinking of that change, it, it gives me chill bumps to see God restore something that was lost. To see someone who went from living in hiding to dining at the king's table. The justice was restored and that, that his family's land was returned. That, that he was given servants to help take care of the land and it benefited Ziba's family as well because now they got a share of the land and they got to take care of people from Saul's household. God gave them back, gave him back more than could be expected. God gave him back more than I think Mephibosheth would have dreamed. That's exactly where we're going. What are you anticipating that God is going to do in your future? And this isn't about worldly wealth. This isn't about reputation. But this is about just true expectation. What is God going to do through my days and my years ahead? And what is laid up ahead of me that I will see one day in heaven? What inheritance do I have with Christ? Is it worth something to me? Do I live for it or do I live for the world's standards? 
What does God have for me? Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. I, I, I want to remind you guys of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I love what Mephibosheth got back. It brings joy to my heart to think of that kind of restoration. But that's not even a shadow of what God has in store for those who love him. It's not even a glimpse of what God has for you in heaven. But I don't want you to ever live your life expecting that the only thing that God has for me is in heaven. Because I do believe he has good for you here on earth. There may be difficulties. You may, you may suffer for a little while, as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says. You might experience patience, which is long-suffering. It might be tough, but God is not going to leave you there. And I started off talking about Nico. You might feel like you're getting beat up right now. But what I've got to tell you is you've got to keep swinging from wherever you are. Because God's not going to leave you in that area of struggle by yourself. He has a plan for you, a future to prosper, to, to put his glory on display. So we have hope. Our fight, the fight that you should be in, it might feel like a fight that you can't win. It's okay to feel that way, but it's not okay to stop fighting. You know, just in this city alone, there are so many needs. There's so many opportunities for you to make a difference in Christ's name here. And you know, we, we just passed uh, the three-year anniversary of when we were supposed to launch Gulfside Church. That's right. Um, for, for, yeah, that's, that's fun. Um, we're not to our three-year anniversary yet as a church, but if you didn't know, September 17th, 2017 was supposed to be our launch date. 1717, come on, I can remember that number. Um, instead, we got a hurricane. Yeah. And, and we, in Island Coast High School, uh, ended up being closed because it was used as uh, a place for people to shelter. And then it took weeks and weeks to clean it. And instead of having church services, we were out with chainsaws. And it was different. It was difficult. People were giving me my condolences for the failure of the future of our church. It's understandable. Your launch day was ruined. Your mailer was ruined. Your yard signs were ruined. None of that mattered. People fail in these circumstances. Church plants fail sometimes. I was like, what are you talking about? We haven't even started. Like, <laughs> September 17th in the past of that day didn't change our vision. Like, I understand it's a struggle. I understand it's difficult. But the vision for what our church is going to be hasn't changed. We're going to reach people for Christ. And that's something that, still, that God still wants to do despite the fact that we're in a struggle right now. The vision hasn't changed. And, and I want you to recognize that in your life that if God has spoken to you about where your life needs to go, you might be in a struggle and a storm and in a difficulty right now, but the vision hasn't changed. You've got to keep pursuing it. You've got to keep going. You are part of a royal family called to make a difference. Not just called, but enabled to make a difference. So church, I just want to encourage you today. Keep fighting. Keep pursuing the opportunities are abundant here. We can't be a people who give up. We've got to be a people who keep fighting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
First of all, that you see our suffering. That you recognize it. And you speak to us that you are with us. So Father, I pray for the families right now who are praying for miracles um, with grandchildren and there's concerns about health and we, and we lift those up in Jesus' name. Uh, I pray for those who are in the midst of issues with work and we lift those up in Jesus' name. Help us to walk with integrity, to pray with faith and expectation and we know that you have good things for your children ahead. We thank you that you see, all, see it all and that you are willing to work in our situation. So give us the courage to walk through suffering with our, with our chins held high, knowing that you have something for us on the other side. We thank you for the way you restored things in Mephibosheth's life. And Father, we ask to continue to see restoration in our life, in our neighbors, in our friends, our coworkers. May we continue to see, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, see restoration happen. And we thank you for your love.